Well, great to see you all today. We, uh, at long last, we have arrived in Daniel chapter 12. Uh, we are looking at the end of Daniel's last great vision. This is actually sermon number 23 in our series on the book of Daniel. Been kind of working our way through the book, a chapter or a portion of a chapter at a time. And we have finally now arrived in chapter 12. We're going to be here for two weeks, uh, just looking at the first few verses today. And then we'll finish off uh, Daniel chapter 12 and this wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, of course, you remember, uh, hopefully you remember, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are all one basic vision, one great story that Daniel has. Daniel 10, 11, and 12 in our English Bibles uh, is, is all the same vision from God. And you will remember, that I trust, that in chapter 10, Daniel was shown an awe-inspiring vision of someone who could only be the Lord Jesus Christ. He was revealed through an Old Testament, what we call a theophany, which is an appearance of God. Uh, we call this sort of thing as seeing the, the pre-incarnate Christ. Pre-incarnate, uh, meaning before God the Son came to earth. Uh, incarnation means to take on flesh, to take on a human body, which God the Son did on that night outside Bethlehem. So pre-incarnate simply means before God the Son's physical birth in Bethlehem. Uh, a theophany is an appearance of God. didn't happen very often in the Old Testament. But God the Son, whom we know as our Savior Jesus Christ, he appeared to Daniel in his radiant glory, and it was so overwhelmingly awesome that Daniel literally collapsed on the ground. An angel lifted Daniel up, strengthened him, relayed to him this incredible vision of coming world events, which Daniel then recorded for us in chapters 11 and 12. Remember in chapter 10, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, there was, a, there was a tremendous battle in the spirit world between God's angels and Satan's demons. Uh, as the, uh, the angelic messenger from God was hindered from getting to Daniel for three weeks. He couldn't get past the demonic forces that were fighting him, the demons who were overseeing the kingdoms of Persia and Greece, until Michael the archangel came to help him. Then he arrived with the message from God. So the prophetic message that we've been looking at here in chapter 11 and today in chapter 12, this is the message that the demonic forces of hell were trying desperately to keep Daniel from hearing. And as we study these prophetic truths, we begin to understand the desperation of the forces of hell. They are going to lose. And Jesus Christ is going to win. The Jewish people are going to undergo terrible hardships, but they will survive. And they will be purified and refined, and they will receive all of the kingdom promises that God has pledged to them. Daniel was now living at the beginning of the Persian Empire. And through the first 34 verses of chapter 11, as we mentioned last week, he was shown that the flow of history regarding the Jewish people from the kingdom of Persia in 539 B.C. through the fall of Persia to the Greeks under Alexander the Great about 200 years later, followed by the death of Alexander at a very young age, the age of 33, the dividing of his kingdom four ways. Uh, two of these divisions, Egypt and Syria, had a tremendous impact on the Jewish people. Uh, they were two warring powers on either side of Palestine, and, and, and battles waged back and forth across the Holy Land for several hundred years. 
The angel also showed Daniel the coming of an evil king. We've spoken of him who would be one of the kings of the north, the king of Syria, who would defile the temple in Jerusalem, and he would stop the Jewish sacrifices. You remember that this story, this was fulfilled in history in the person of Antiochus Epiphanes, the, the, the madman king of Syria, who slaughtered a pig on the altar in the temple and tried to force the Jews to worship Zeus. And he aroused the revolt of the Jewish people led by the Maccabees. We did not look at this verse last week, but I want to look at it today. So much other information. I uh, did not take the time to look at this great verse and uh, and my wife said to me after my after she heard my sermon, she said, "How come you didn't talk about that verse you really like in chapter 11?" Well, you're going to get it today. So anyway, it is a great verse. It's in verse verse 32, Daniel 11:32. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. And the he he's talking about is Antiochus Epiphanes, this king we've looked at in the past. In other words, people who do wickedly, they, they are defying God. He's going to corrupt them with flattery. But this last part of the verse, and if you're a Bible highlighter, underliner, this is a great, great verse. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Specifically, he's talking about the Maccabean revolt under Antiochus Epiphanes. But I believe there is a great, great spiritual lesson for us. During this time of massacre and persecution by Antiochus Epiphanes, he had slaughtered thousands upon thousands of Jewish people. He had, he had profaned the temple. They were rebelling against it. They were trying to overthrow him and get the temple back and begin to worship God again. And he said, during this terrible time of, of, of massacre and war against the people of God, he said, those who know their God will be strong and they will carry out great exploits, meaning heroic deeds. Great encouragement and challenge for us in these days. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know how difficult things may be in our country in the coming months. We don't know what's going to happen overseas in all these various places. We see end times events lining up and moving toward the rapture of the church and the tribulation period and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know how that's going to affect us here in rural Montana. We don't know specifically what's going to take place. But we can know this, that whatever happens, those who know God will be strong and will be able to carry out heroic deeds. We'll be able to stand for the truth. We'll be able to worship God. We'll be able to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. We will be able to do heroic things in the eyes of God if we know God. If we are in tune with what God wants us to do. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. So don't forget that verse. The people who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits or heroic deeds. But historians, as we've mentioned to you last week, they look at these verses in chapter 11 from verse 2 up to verse 34, and they can document all of those things. They were fulfilled in detail by 165 B.C. So the first 34 chapters of chapter 11 record detailed history of the Persian and Greek empires from 539 B.C. to 165 B.C. when the Romans began to rise to power. Then in verse 35, as we said last week, is kind of a transition verse. The angel explains to Daniel the difficult times are going to follow the Jewish people all the way up until the time of the end. 
They're being purified and refined nationally until the appointed time by God. Then there's apparently a long leap of time. Nothing in the last 10 verses of the chapter, of chapter 11, has even happened yet. There's no historical data that, that anything of, like what these verses describe, so we can only assume that it will be future, that it is future. And the angel told Daniel another willful king will arise. He will remind the Jews of Antiochus Epiphanes, but he's going to be a lot worse. He's going to repeat those blasphemies of Antiochus Epiphanes in the temple. As we saw last week, he's going to be willful. He's going to be arrogant and profane and perverted and motivated by power. He's going to worship the God of war, the God of military might. There's going to be a rebellion against him and his rule. He's going to crush it. Our text said last week that, that, that he was going to go out with great fury and destroy and annihilate. But when what has been determined by God has been done, the angel said, and all God's wrath on the world has been poured out, he is going to destroy this willful king by divine power. And when we examine other prophetic passages in Daniel and Revelation and Thessalonians, well, we conclude that this description of the willful king at the end of chapter 11 doesn't fit anybody else in the scripture except for the Antichrist. The last 10 verses of chapter 11 are, are a description of the Antichrist and what he's going to do. Uh, the, the, the time of the end that is spoken of here, which we'll see again mentioned in chapter 12, it is what Jesus called the Great Tribulation. He said that in Matthew 24. So we come to the last paragraph of this prophetic revelation. The first three verses of chapter 12 kind of conclude this incredible vision in chapter 11, and that's as far as we'll get today. We'll wrap up the book of Daniel next Sunday, Lord willing, unless the rapture happens. Then we'll meet you on the way up. No one even responded to that. Are you? Is everyone with me today? Okay. Lord willing, we'll finish Daniel next week unless the rapture happens. Okay, amen. All right, all right. Just wanted, just wanted to make sure you're awakened with me before we get through with all that mountain of history I just piled on you. Okay, we're going to group our thoughts around five concepts. Terrible distress. Powerful defender. Fantastic deliverance. Beautiful destiny. And blessed reward. I'll give them to you again as we're working our way through the text. But again, terrible distress, powerful defender, fantastic deliverance, beautiful destiny, blessed reward. Now let's read these first three verses of Daniel chapter 12. I must say I got a little chill up and down my spine as I read these verses as I was imagining this scene in the spirit world in these first few verses here. At that time, Daniel says, remember this is not a new vision, this is just the continuation of chapter 11. At that time, or during that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars 
forever and ever. Our first little phrase there, at that time. At that time of terrible distress. At that time we just read about at the end of chapter 11. At that time when the Antichrist rises up and takes over the world. At that time when the world is filled with war right up to Armageddon. At the time when the willful king breaks his treaty with Israel. At the time that he sets himself up in the temple in Jerusalem and claims to be God. At the time of this final abomination of desolation. The defiling of the temple. When the Antichrist consumes every other world religion and forces everyone to worship him or die. At the time when there is greater trouble than this world has ever seen. At the time when the prophet Zechariah said two-thirds of the nation of Israel will be killed. I want you to read that passage. Hold your finger here in Daniel 12. Look at Zechariah and chapter 13. The last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. The book right in front of him is Zechariah. So not a, not a passage that a lot of people turn to very often. So if you find the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, just back up a few pages and you'll be right there in Zechariah. If you were to read chapters 12 through 14 of Zechariah, you would see they sound very tribulation-like, very Armageddon-like. The day of the Lord, that Old Testament phrase and New Testament phrase for the tribulation period, is directly mentioned. And here in Zechariah chapter 13, you can read all three chapters if you want sometime, 12, 13, and 14, some great stuff there. I just want you to read uh, read with me verses 8 and 9 and 10. I guess 8 and 9 here in Zechariah 13. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord. And if you look at the context, he's talking about the tribulation period. That two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. But one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, This is my people, and each one will say, The Lord is my God. During the tribulation period, it certainly fits this. this, uh, In fact, that's what these three chapters are all about. And right in the middle of it, God says, Two-thirds of the people living in the land of Israel during the tribulation period are going to die. One-third are going to be left. I'm going to refine them, as we talked about in chapter 11. They're going to be refined and purified, the Jewish nation. And and so at that time, when Zechariah says two-thirds of the nation of Israel will be killed... Many believe they're gonna, the people are gonna flock to Israel after the treaty with the Antichrist. Currently, in fact, currently today, 15.2 million Jews worldwide, about half of them in Israel. Many think there'll be more after the Antichrist makes his treaty, they'll go back. In fact, almost 9 million today in Israel, so over half. Almost two-thirds of them are there. And yet Zechariah says, two-thirds of them are going to die. At that time, Michael shall stand up, our passage tells us. At the time that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24, when anyone dwelling in or near Jerusalem, we saw a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, better run for the mountains when the Antichrist breaks that treaty. You better run for the mountains. Don't even go back to your house and get anything. Pray you're not pregnant or nursing a baby then, because you better run for your life to the mountains to hide, Jesus said in Matthew 24. At the time that the Apostle John 
describes in Revelation 6 through 19, war and famine and 25% of the world's population dies. You know, in current world population, that would be 2 billion people. One-third of the earth's resources destroyed. One-third of the sea destroyed. The creatures in it, the ships on it. One-third of the world's fresh water polluted. Body sores all over people. Scorching heat from the sun. Hell's demons overrunning the earth. And on and on and on it goes like that from Revelation chapter 6 up through chapter 19. At that time, during that time, that horrible worldwide tribulation spoken of so many places in the scripture... At that time, Michael, the archangel, is going to stand up. He says, that great prince who watches, who stands watch over the sons of your people. You see, a time of terrible distress is going to require a powerful defender. Michael, the archangel, is apparently assigned to be the special angelic watchman for the nation of Israel. In fact, in back in chapter 10, Daniel's angelic messenger called Michael your prince. Michael is mentioned by name twice in chapter 10, here in chapter 12 of Daniel. He's also mentioned in the book of Jude over in the New Testament. And in the book of Jude, it says he was fighting Satan over the body of Moses. Some of you remember from Old Testament history, back at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, that, that Moses died on Mount Nebo, on the, on the plains of Moab. So the Bible says God buried him, and no one ever found his grave. According to the book of Jude, Satan apparently wanted Moses' body. Why, he doesn't say. We can surmise that he wanted to turn him into an idol somewhere. Thought everybody would worship the body of Moses. Or, or, or worship his corpse in a casket or something. You never know what Satan was going to do with the body of Moses. But the book of Jude says that Michael fought Satan to keep him from getting the body of Moses. No one ever found his grave. Michael appears again in, in chapter 12 of Revelation, and once again, he is leading a battle against Satan and his demons. So Michael the archangel apparently is one of the archenemies, arch warriors for God in the angelic realm against the power of the devil. And, and here in these dark days of the tribulation... When the Antichrist turns against Israel and tries to destroy them, says, Michael stands up. The Hebrew word indicates that he's taking a stand against, or he's standing in position, as in a defensive position. Again, picturing Michael as fighting for Israel. Satan has always tried to destroy Israel and thwart God's eternal purposes for them. His efforts during the tribulation are going to be his, his last-ditch effort, and Michael is going to fight him once again in a great angelic battle. So we've seen the, power, or the, the terrible distress which requires the powerful defender, but the powerful defender is going to provide a fantastic deliverance, this passage says. At that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Those whose names are written in the book are going to survive the tribulation. So the obvious question is, what is the book? Well, the only thing it can be is the book of life that records the name of every believer in Jesus Christ. It is referred to in Luke chapter 10. Jesus referred to it in the gospel of Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Talked about rejoice if your name is written in the book. It's mentioned by name in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4. And it's mentioned six times in the book of Revelation. 
Sometimes it's there, it's called the Lamb's Book of Life. It contains the name of every true believer in the Lord Jesus. So this verse indicates to us, remember this is a Jewish passage aimed at Jewish people, this verse indicates that the only Jewish folks who are going to survive the tribulation are those whose names are written in the book of life. So how are they going to come to Christ, you may ask? There's wholesale rejection of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ in Israel today, no question about that. Some of you studied the book of Revelation, or you may have been with us many years ago, I think about seven years ago, when we did our end time series. Uh, if you are interested in any of those, I think they're still on the church website, uh, but uh, from, from back then. So those in our end time series there on Revelation, or your own reading of Revelation, you may remember the two witnesses that appear in chapter 11 of Revelation. They perform miracles. They preach to Israel. The Antichrist has them killed. Their bodies lie in the street in Jerusalem for three days. Then they rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. The whole earth is going to see it, Revelation 11 says. I remember my father <laughs> telling me in my youth, way back when, that when he was young and in the ministry and, and trying to witness to people and, and doing various things, that people used to, used to mock the Bible over that. What a stupid statement. The whole world's going to see the two guys laying dead in the street in Jerusalem. Who would possibly believe that? Well, we don't have trouble believing it today, do we? We got second by second, like a two-second delay of everything going on in Ukraine. They got people with cell phones sitting there on FaceTime and Zoom and basements in Ukraine talking to people all over the world. We have no trouble believing at all, but... 75 years ago, people looked at that passage, ah, the whole world's going to see the two witnesses. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it takes three weeks for the tapes to get from the other side of the world over here on a boat. Of course, we have satellites now, so you know what? God knows everything that's going to happen. You can't fool God. He knows exactly what's going to take place, and he told John, the apostle, 2,000 years ago, that the whole world was going to see the two witnesses laying in the street, and of course... We have no problem believing it today. But I thought, you know, if you, those two witnesses are there preaching the gospel to Jewish people, and the Antichrist kills them, and their body lays in the street for three days, and then they stand upright, and they ascend back up into heaven in the sight of a bunch of people, and everybody grabs their cell phones, and they're filming it. That'll probably get the attention of a few people, huh? Then Revelation 7 and 14, both those chapters, talk about 144,000 Jewish evangelists, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel who will be preaching during the tribulation. God is going to have a mark on them, chapter 7 says, so that the Antichrist can't kill them. And they're going to be going around the world preaching during the tribulation. And you know, if there are over 15 million Jews in the world and two-thirds of them are going to die during the tribulation, then that leaves at least 5 million who are going to come to Christ during the tribulation. If not during it, then certainly at the end when Jesus comes. And as the same prophet Zechariah says in chapter 14, they will look on him whom they pierced and all Israel will be saved. They will recognize Jesus as the Messiah and they will live to see the millennial kingdom established by Jesus Christ. And according to chapter 7 of Revelation, there will also be a massive number of Gentiles turning to Christ. So a terrible distress requires a powerful defender who provides a fantastic deliverance which leads to 
a beautiful destiny. Verse 2, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 2 is referring to the resurrection. Resurrection always refers to the physical body. The Bible teaches that everyone will be resurrected one day, but not for the same destiny. The New Testament reveals the further detail of separate resurrections for the just and the unjust. We won't read all these passages. I know some of you like to write some of the references down. You can read Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. It talks about a first resurrection and identifies those involved in the first resurrection as being blessed and holy. And he says that those who are involved in the first resurrection, he says the second death, which is the lake of fire, has no power over those individuals. So the first resurrection is the raising of all believers. It corresponds with Jesus' teaching of the resurrection of the just in Luke 14 and the resurrection of life in John chapter 5. But the first resurrection takes place in various stages. Three to be exact. 1 Corinthians 15 says Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. He was the first fruits, meaning he was the first person to be resurrected and never ever die again. You see, all of the other resurrections prior to the Lord Jesus Christ, there were people raised from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead. But just, just think of the famous story we've talked about in John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. Dead for four days. Jesus raises him from the dead. But you know what? Lazarus died again. Later on, he passed away again. All of the other people who uh, uh, down through the course of Bible history but with, with the prophet Elisha and others who raised people from the dead, they eventually died again. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose to never die. And so the Bible calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, the first fruits of the resurrection. The one who paved the way for the resurrection of all who believe in him, raised never ever to die again. Still to come in the resurrection is the dead in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 talks about at the rapture of the church when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Those who have died in Christ will be raised and given a new body. And then at the end of the tribulation, which is what Daniel's talking about here in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, at the end of the tribulation, after the time of great distress, after Michael stands up, after the Jews are delivered, after they're brought, the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and establishes his kingdom. At the end of the tribulation, then the Old Testament saints and all those who were martyred during, during the tribulation will be raised again. We see from Revelation 20 and verse 4. That's the first resurrection. Jesus, the church at the rapture, the Old Testament saints and tribulation martyrs at the end of the tribulation. If I've lost you, we'll be glad to talk about that some more after we're all done. But, but uh, we could go through about five sermons on all these, but you can, you can check it out and we'll, uh, we'll get it. So, Revelation chapter 20 also identifies the people comprising the second resurrection. They are the wicked, the unsaved, the unbelieving, those who have been, that are going to be judged by God at the great white throne judgment prior to be cast into the lake of fire. 
The second resurrection is the raising of all unbelievers. The first resurrection in those three stages covers all those who have put their faith in Christ, all those who are trusting God, all those who know the Lord. The second resurrection is for those who have rejected Him. The rest of the dead, that scripture tells us, did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And at the end of the thousand year millennium, they are raised and eternally judged. What is Daniel referring to? The angel telling, telling Daniel, he said there's going to be a terrible, terrible distress for the nation of Israel. But there's going to be a powerful deliverer. It's going to be Michael the archangel. He's going to stand up and he's going to fight for Israel. And he's going to keep the Antichrist from wiping them off the face of the earth. Two-thirds of them are going to die, but he's going to preserve that third. And, and, they, and they, are, they are going to come to Christ and they are going to populate the millennium. They're going to begin to that, that, that great millennial kingdom. And he said there'll be that resurrection of, of those who knew the Lord from the tribulation for all through the Old Testament time. Of which Daniel's going to be a part of that. In fact, look at the very last verse in chapter 12. We'll talk about it more next week. Angel says, you, talking to Daniel, go your way till the end, for you shall rest, and you shall arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Saying, Daniel, you'll be in that resurrection, and you will receive your inheritance at the end of those days. So there's going to be this beautiful, beautiful destiny of a resurrection for eternal life. What horror and anguish there will be for those who are part of the second resurrection and the second death. But what great rejoicing for those who are part of the first resurrection. It is a beautiful destiny. And that beautiful destiny leads to a blessed reward. And that's verse 3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, the beautiful destiny leads to a blessed reward. Those who are wise, meaning those who know the Lord, they're going to shine like the brightness of the firmament. Firmament is not a word we use in modern English these days. It simply means the expanse of the sky. When you look up, of course, here in Montana, we, we can see lots of sky. Which is why we call it big sky country. You can see this massive expanse of the sky. That's the old English word, the firmament. And he said he's going to shine like the brightness of the expanse of the sky. It's a reference to the sun, bright sunshine in the day. Those who are wise, those who know the Lord, they're going to shine like the brightness of the, of the expanse in the sky. Brightness of the sun at noonday. And he says, those who, those who know the Lord, they are going to beam out the glory of God forever. And those who turn many to righteousness, the angel said, they're going to be like the stars. They're going to shine like the stars forever and ever. So who are God's stars? <clears throat> not the ones that the world applauds. God's stars are not the, the famous folks with their names on the sidewalk somewhere. I think they call that Hollywood. God's stars, the angel tells Daniel, are those who lead many to righteousness. They point others to Jesus. God's stars are the mothers and the grandmothers who teach their children and grandchildren about Jesus and who pray for them and urge them toward the Lord. God's stars include the, the office worker who listens to 
their friends and gives biblical answers to some of their questions. God stars are that son or that daughter who witnesses to their parents and their aunts and their uncles. That coach who shares Christ with his players. That friend who courageously tells his buddies about Jesus. The Sunday school teacher who teaches her heart out and then prays for her students to be saved. The young couple who leaves relatives behind and crosses culture as missionaries. The faithful church member who makes the Lord a priority and leaves a testimony of faithfulness with their friends and their neighbors. They're all, they're all God's heroes. They're all God's stars and one day they're going to shine like the stars. Those who turn many to righteousness are going to shine like the stars forever and ever. Well, Daniel is given tremendous hope here. There's coming a terrible distress for the Jews, the angel says. But in the midst of it, a powerful defender is going to stand up for Israel and is going to bring about a fantastic deliverance. And from that deliverance is going to come a beautiful destiny, a resurrected eternal life. And with it, that blessed reward of, of shining the glory of God forever. What, what a hope. Well, that, that's Israel's future, the angel tells to Daniel. But you know something? That's our future too. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be with Him in His kingdom, and you will have the blessed reward of glorifying God forever and ever. Do you truly know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you ready to meet Him face to face? It may be sooner than you think. Let's pray. Lord, you know we don't set dates. We don't pretend to know the precise moment that you're coming. But we look around, Lord, at our world and all the things in it, and we can't imagine we're very far away. All of the technology that would need to be developed in order for the Antichrist to rule this world is already developed. All of the world infrastructure to have a global government and a global economy, it's, it's all done. All of the alliances that the book of Revelation speaks of and the Old Testament prophets speak of, they're all being formed. So Lord, we, while we don't set dates, we also don't stick our heads in the sand and pretend like it's not happening. Lord, we don't know how much time we have, either before our death or before you come to get us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to look forward with great hope, as the angel gave Daniel. Help us, Lord, to be among the wise who will shine like the brightness of the expanse of the sky. Lord, may we turn many to righteousness by our life and our testimony and our witness for Jesus. That we may shine like the stars forever and ever, shining the glory of God throughout all eternity. Lord, may we not be afraid. Help us to be, as the scripture said, to be strong. Those who know their God will be strong and do heroic things in these tumultuous times. Lord, we pray for our loved ones who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
I pray, Father, that we may be able to win them to Christ before the time of the end. And Lord, if we need to have friends and loved ones, or we ourselves need a new and fresh touch from, from the Lord Jesus, we pray, Father, that, uh, that we would rededicate our hearts and lives to you and be determined to make God a priority, to make the Word of God a priority, to make our witness for Christ and our testimony for you a priority. So that we may, in the end, in, the, in those final days, we may shine like the stars for the glory of God forever and ever. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.